Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Those who are going to little worship can be dismissed at this time. If you're staying in here with us, I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. And uh, if you're visiting with us, uh, or maybe your first time back in a while, welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, you're catching us this morning uh, in a series. We're doing a sermon series through the, the Gospel of Luke. And this morning we're in uh, Luke chapter 4. Uh, and also, if you have not uh, been here in a while and you notice that William just prayed for an offering, and we did not take up an offering, and I think that's kind of weird. Um, we all know offering plates got COVID just all over it, right? So we, um, we don't do that now. Um, there's, a, there's a big box in the back with a, a slit in the top that you can drop whatever you want to, to give. Um, that's how you can give. Um, so growing up, uh, I shared a room with my brother Brad, and uh, just like all kind of kids at some phase, um, we went through this phase where uh, we drew a line down the center of the room, and you know, this was my side of the room, and that was Brad's side of the room, and you just keep your stuff on your side. And as long as we do that, we're okay. Because um, you know, anytime a line is drawn or an explicit claim is made, it creates, it creates division, right? And, and there are tons of things that divide us today, uh, isn't it? Uh, last week at, at Pillow, it was like, rep your favorite team day, and so uh, there was a, a divide of, you know, kids with Ole Miss gear, and then kids with uh, Mississippi State gear, and then, of course, there's Jude and Sophie in their Auburn gear, uh, and Jude said that one of his friends said, uh, Auburn stinks, and uh, it's like, man, blessed are the persecuted Jude, you, you're going to be okay. Um, you know, COVID's divided us, hasn't it? Or maybe we should say maybe the media has divided us. I don't, I don't know. But um, uh, at Presbytery this past week, George Robertson, he's the pastor at Second Pres uh, Memphis. Um, he uh, preached kind of, it's weird when you preach for preachers, but he, he preached a sermon uh, for us. And in it, he mentioned that the past two years have been the hardest of his 30 years in ministry. Uh, that COVID will likely leave piles of pastors leaving the ministry in its wake, because there's been constant division in the church. Um, and, and I'm not saying this has been the case here necessarily, but these are things that I've heard from other churches and even some other churches here in town, that members have been upset because churches stopped meeting in person for a while. Uh, people were upset because churches did not meet away long enough. They didn't do enough. There are people thinking that the church has bent the knee to the government and the church needs to defy these tyrants. And then there are those who think that the church is being reckless. And in the process of defying tyrants, the church has given little to no regard to those who are immunocompromised in its midst. And then there's masks. You know, that was the whole thing, right? Um, Masks. People either ask, are you a sheep or not? Do you love your neighbor or not? It's like those are the only options there is. Um, some people wouldn't come to church during the pandemic until masks were required. Others wouldn't come to church until masks were not required. And, and if anything, 
And this is why I think so many pastors are discouraged. It's because COVID has really exposed this golden calf of American Christianity. It showed that what we really worship all this time, we've been getting together to worship Jesus, but what we're really worshiping is our own personal comfort. And that's really depressing. Um, And and that's not to even mention the vaccine. Division. Uh, You know, but COVID's hardly the only thing that divides, is it? It's... uh, Actually, in Scripture, we find that few things are as viscerally divisive as, as the gospel is. You know, as you read through the Bible, you see that the same message, that is the power of God to those who are being saved, is also complete and utter foolishness to others. You know, the same message, that the same well, gospel fire that, that softens frozen hearts is also the same fire that heat treats other hearts and hardens them. But one thing's for sure, when it comes to Jesus and what he came to do, there is no middle ground. I mean, either we're for him or we're against him. Jesus says, you know, just to be neutral is to reject him. And this morning we come to maybe the clearest picture of that in the Bible. Um, if, if you remember from last week, you know, Jesus, he's starting to, he's, he's come out of temptation. He's coming into, he's starting to just preach. And he's come to his hometown of Nazareth to give a sermon. And um, if you remember, it was a beautiful sermon. You know, he's, he's unpacking this, these wonderful news from Isaiah and how he's, how he's the fulfillment of that. But unfortunately, not everyone thought so. So Jesus' hometown church heard the exact same message that we heard last week. I mean, except it was Jesus preaching, not me. Um, but they rejected him, which begs the question, why? I mean, how could you reject that? How could you reject such good news? Uh, well, let's find out. Um, let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Luke 4, 22. Uh, Father, we need you. Um, thank you that you don't allow us to just kind of wander around in our sin, that you draw us out of that. But Lord, now we ask that you would help us to see the greater truth, to see the gospel message as, as beautiful, as wonderful, and Lord, may we not reject it. May we receive it and run to it. And we ask this in Christ. Amen. Uh, so Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 22. We'll just go down through 30. Um, so Jesus, is just, he's in the middle of preaching a sermon. And all the people there spoke well of Jesus and marveled at his gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And Jesus said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. (laughs) When the people in the synagogue heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and they drove him out of town and brought him up to the brow of a hill of which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst... Jesus went away. This is God's word. 
So this week I asked uh, some people, what causes churches to run their pastors out of town? And I got some really great answers, and I took some notes on some of them. Um, they, they said that uh, meddling with the women's ministry is like, dude, you want to get out of town quick. That's how, and thankfully, I already knew that one. I know that you just kind of, you just kind of slide around that. Um, others said killing the sacred cow of the church, whatever that sacred cow is. Uh, not understanding, you know, the political, uh, re- relational dynamics within different churches. Of course, one said mask mandates, and on and on and on. Um, a fun fact, my, so my friend Jonathan Craig is a, a Navy chaplain, and while he was deployed to the Middle East, uh, he took some time, some leave, I guess, to take uh, like a tour of the Holy Land. And so he went to Nazareth, and he walked up on this, this hill, this cliff that's in our passage, and uh, <clears throat> it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's called the Mount of Precipice, or it's also called the, the Leaping Mountain. And you know how our, our passage ended with this little mystery of, like, it didn't really tell us how Jesus got away, it just says he kind of just, you know, passed through the midst of them. Well, Jonathan said, <clears throat> excuse me, that on the top of this little cliff, there's a, a plaque um, that says that it's an old tradition. Now, it's not, that's not necessarily biblical, uh, but it's an old tradition that says that Jesus actually evaded his pursuers by jumping down the cliff. I kind of just, you know, jumping down, and, and it does not too big of a deal. These aren't huge mountains. You know, I think if like Taylor Knowles or, Char- or Charles Knowles could easily just kind of, you know, uh, run down these cliffs. And, and, of course, that's legend. We don't know. Um, but my friend did say that's probably how many preachers would like to escape their churches, just kind of jump. Um, although there are a lot of reasons churches may want to run their pastors out of town. Um, but why Jesus? And having heard the sermon you know, last week about this is good news to the poor in spirit. Like Jesus has, has come to bring freedom to those who are enslaved and to the oppressed. I mean, like, what, what's there to reject? Who would reject that? And, and that's why this passage is so sobering, because if Jesus' hometown would reject Jesus, how easy for, is it for us Southern Christians uh, to reject him as well? You know, some churches in America have rejected Jesus and yet just continue to carry the name Christian in their name only. Um, all right, but to our passage, verse 22, you know, so far in the sermon, remember, this is all in the middle of the sermon. Things have been going great. The people are like marveling at his gracious words. Verse 22, and I can't read verse 22 without thinking about that. Y'all remember that kid preacher? I think it was in Grenada. Y'all remember that? Um, there, I think it was a uh, Pentecostal church over in Grenada that had this kid preacher, and he made the national news, and like his dad built him this like mini pulpit, and he would, you know, had his little suit and his little Bible, and he came up there, and he would proceed to just imitate a preacher. You know, he'd just start shouting out gibberish. But all the hometown people, oh man, he was preaching. They loved it. And there's a sense that the people of Nazareth, they thought, man, wow, this guy... He's really using some gracious words. He's really preaching. But then, and this can be a problem with small towns, there's a fine line between celebrating someone's gifts, right, and then being jealous or envious of that person's gifts. All of a sudden, the mood changed right there mid-22, and all of a sudden they say, wait, isn't this Joseph's son? You know, it's interesting that when the demons interacted with Jesus, the demons knew Jesus, who Jesus was. The demons recognized him as the Son of God, and yet here we have his own hometown 
All they could see is, this is just some dude. This is just Joseph's son. And so when it came to Jesus, there was a bias that they couldn't overcome. And so that's the first reason they reject him, we reject Jesus, is because of just a bias that we have. Um, It's like, this is not how it's supposed to be. Preachers come from rabbi homes, not carpenter homes. What's this blue-collar carpenter thinking he is trying to be a preacher? And, And, you know, in the same way, Many today reject Jesus because of a, a really a deep-seated bias. We say things like, like who, okay, who are you to tell me how I'm supposed to live my life? Who are you to tell me how to do my marriage and, my, and how to like, interact with my kids? So I, I listened to a podcast this week, uh, and the podcast was talking about how just difficult, actually almost well, virtually impossible it is to conduct a legitimate survey or scientific experiment today that's devoid of bias, that they're trying to figure out ways to get the bias out. Because studies will, will make absolute claims, only that if you, if you dig in deep enough, you'll find that uh, they, they kind of stack the data in their favor towards their bias. Or, you know, they got the results they wanted to get. Well, the people of Nazareth, they didn't see Jesus for who he was. Their bias was, he is not the Son of God, this is just some dude who is the child of, of Joseph. He's just some dude. And many, many reject Jesus today for the same reason. You know, Muslims, Hindu, Buddhists, atheists, agnostics, like they, they all think of Jesus as a great teacher in many ways, and this is, I guess, shame on us. Some, some Muslims honor Jesus more than Christians do. They really hold him in high esteem. But they don't think he's God. Um, they think that he's a great teacher, you know, almost anybody will say that the Sermon on the Mount is some of the, the greatest collection of teaching the world's ever known, Matthew 5 through 7. I mean, it stands the test of all literature. It's awesome. Um, they'll say Jesus is a great moral example. You know, he's someone for our kids to be like and for us to try to be like. He's so good, but he's not God. And, and of course, the problem with that is Jesus doesn't even give us those options. Uh, like, if, if Jesus lied about being the Son of God, then he's not a great moral example. And he's not a great teacher. I mean, you can't trust what he says. He's not a great teacher. And so, the way the Bible leaves it is, it's, he, Jesus is either Lord of all and worthy of our worship, or he's nothing. Like, there is no kind of halfway in between, let's do the religion thing. It, it is like, he is either Lord of all, or he is nothing. And that's similar to what Paul said. It is either... You know, the gospel is the most important thing, or it is like, we just need to go hang out and whatever you want to do on your Sunday morning. Um, so here, Nazareth thought he was nothing. Um, so bias, they, they didn't think he was God. Um, second, they rejected Jesus because familiarity hides the fantastic. You know, y'all know what I mean. Familiarity hides the fantastic. So I've got some nephews who are homeschooled, so this may explain this. Um, they're into birds, bird watching, and they know all the bird names and know all the bird sounds. And so they live over in Alabama, but they came over here a few months ago to the Delta, and they saw birds they ain't never seen before. And they're looking at the, and like I would just call it, that's just, a, that's brown bird, that's black bird, and that's, that's just a bird. And they're like, no, that's like a cedar waxwing, like the Latin name, and they're just like freaking out because they've never seen these birds. And I'm like, man, that's just a brown bird, you know? Um... You know, that's why most car accidents, so they say if we could trust surveys, um, most car accidents happen within a few miles or a few blocks from your home, right? It's because you can drive a thousand miles, and, and yet you get, just, you get close to your home, 
and it's like we just go on autopilot. You know, we've done it, we've done it a thousand times. We don't even have to think about it. You know, growing up, they, these villagers of Nazareth, they'd seen Jesus umpteen thousand times. He was just a brown bird. You know, I mean, the thrill had gone. And y'all, please know that like what, I'm, what I'm saying here, I, I really do say looking out um, at friends. Like, people, I, I really love you. Um, and, and I know that you've probably heard umpteen thousand sermons about Jesus and, and about his great love for you. And so the danger, especially for lifelong churchgoers, is that we've done this so many times that it's tempting to kind of go on autopilot. And, you know, um, familiarity breeds apathy. And, and so we lackadaisically just kind of mumble through the songs and we just kind of stand when we're supposed to stand. And, you know, which these songs, like all this stuff is in the worship to give us an opportunity to respond to God's great love for us. And, and yet it's so easy to get so ho-hum and be like, man, we've got to sing five verses of how good Jesus is. Can we just do like three? Um, and we become so familiar with Jesus that the wonder fades, and it just happens with time. Um, that's why Jesus is constantly telling us, hey, you need to be like, be like a child, faith like a child, like awaken that wonder again. Um, that Jesus is the only way that we have a relationship with God. That, that Jesus is like the only way that God looks on us and God smiles on us. That Jesus is the only way that we can know that everything's going to be okay. It's in Jesus. And so we need the Spirit to come into our shriveled hearts and to bring new life, to bring the wonder back. Okay? Third, um, they rejected Jesus because of skepticism. That's pretty, pretty common, right? They're like, look, if, if we're going to believe you, Jesus, we've got to have some proof. You know, the, the agnostic philosopher Bertrand Russell was once asked what he would say if he was ever face-to-face -face with God. And, and Russell said that if, you know, if, if he found himself before God's face at the final judgment, this is what he would say. He would say, not enough evidence, Lord. Not enough evidence for me to believe. And you think, like, what a prideful thing to say. And yet that's what Nazareth was saying, Jesus if you want us to believe, show us the goods. Um, and so this is where things in Jesus' first sermon in his hometown got awkward. This is where he, 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 goes, he goes from talking about Isaiah to now he's like, this is the divine Jesus. And he's telling the people like what they're thinking at that moment. And he says, look, I know what you're thinking. You're about to say, you're about to use this old proverb, physician, heal yourself. All the things that you've done out in all these other towns, why don't you do it here? Why don't, why don't you prove yourself? And that what they meant by saying that is, you know, in the ancient world, medicine wasn't quite like it is today. And physicians weren't, I mean, I don't even know how they were educated. They weren't always trusted. And so a, a doctor may give you some tonic or some like concoction to take to heal you. It might kill you. And, and so it was very common in this time, for the patients to say, Doc, uh, why don't you try it first? You know, why don't you take some of that, and if it heals you, and it doesn't kill you, then, then I'll try it. And that's what there's like, like, heal yourself first, and then we can believe. Do something, and then we'll believe. And so, in other words, before we trust you, before we have faith in you, we need some proof. And that's a very skeptical way of, of thinking, right? And we do this all the time, as God, if you would do this, then I will, you know, I'll be a good whatever. Um, I'll always trust you. I'll, I'll, I will know. 
But what we see in Scripture is that like, God doesn't give in to the probable demands of skeptics. Rather, He insists that we receive Him on His terms, that, that we take Him at His word, or, or not at all. That we forget that it is God is the giver of faith. And so y'all, y'all may know that in Romans 1, Paul says, For what can be known about God is plain, because God has shown it to us. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power, His divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that He has made, so that we are without excuse. That's what he's saying is that God can't help it that we're, you know, we're glued to our, tele- our cell phones, and yet we can't look up and see like all this evidence of, of God's creation, of God's grace to us. Like Jesus is saying that, that uh, look, I, I mean, he can't help it, uh, that, that we are without excuse if we're looking for uh, evidence. It's not because of lack of evidence that we don't believe. He says you have all the evidence you need. And, and so what does this mean for us today? Uh, well, as much evidence as they had, we have even more, don't we? You know, and we say this a lot here, but the, the reason we believe, or the reason I believe that Jesus is the hero, that Jesus is God, that he's Lord, it, it's not just because he said he is, though he did. Um, no, no, we believe it because everything he said and, and did hinges on an historical event. Like, he's not just saying stuff. Like, this is something that happened. It, it, it hinges on his death and resurrection. And there's so many things that can't be explained if... The resurrection didn't happen. And not to mention, today more and more scientists are studying the created world and space, and they're seeing that, like, okay, not only was there a, a definite creation event, a definite point in which things began, uh, but they say that the earth itself is so finely tuned for life. And even the smallest bits of DNA have information embedded into them that was, it was like it was put there. Like, you can't just, like, create information. Information has to be embedded, which screams to intelligent design, or, in other words, God. So we have all the evidence we need to trust Jesus with everything. And so may our prayer be, Lord, I believe, I help my unbelief. Uh, but then as we close... Um, so, so far, you know, at this point, Jesus is still like, pretend like we're, we're in a synagogue, and Jesus is still up here, and the people haven't kicked him out yet. Um, he said some hard things, but they haven't chased him up that cliff yet, which means what he's about to say is what really brought the house down. Verse 24, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And then to illustrate how what he's talking about, he pointed back to two Old Testament stories, one of which William read for us this morning. Um, and when the people heard those two stories, they said, that's it, Jesus, you're dead. Okay, what happened? Uh, when Jesus told the story about Elijah, there were lots of, of poor, poor widows in Israel. Uh, but Elijah wasn't, he, he wasn't accepted in his hometown, so Elijah had to go out, out to Sidon, and it, he met this, this widow in Sidon. And then Elisha, you know, he goes out um, and he heals this, not only this outsider, but like an enemy, uh, Naaman, the Syrian. And, um, and here's why both of those people, this widow and Naaman, both of them knew the depth of their need. And they weren't waiting for a sign, though, though Naaman took some convention, convincing, right? They were so desperate for the promise 
that they just believed. And because of her faith, the, the widow ended up with plenty to eat. And because of faith, because remember, Naaman wanted to come by work. So he brought all these chariots and all these ten changes of clothes, all these like grand things. And, and yet at the end, all, all he was asked to do was just like, go down to this river, man. You don't need all this stuff. Like just, just simple faith. And he ended up humbled and healed. And at that, Jesus' hometown church lost it. Because it was, it was bad enough to tell church-attending people, you know, Sunday school-going people, that they were poor and blind before the Lord. Uh, it was one thing to tell the Rotary Club people and the Country Club types that, oh, you are needy. But then, to be told that they are less faithful than Gentile dogs, that's too much. If anything, they thought that, yeah, it's like, we, well, God loves churchgoers. And more more than he does those heathens out there. They wanted a church in the kingdom with people just like them. And and to be told that the people they hate, that the people that don't look like them, and they don't really want them kind of in their same church, to be told that, that they would receive the same grace and favor and healing from God, that's just too much. To be told that one day in the kingdom of heaven, they would be sitting and worshiping by the very people they despise. It was too much to handle. And what they really were confessing was Jesus, like your salvation. I mean, <laughs> like, like those people out there, they need it because, man, they are really messed up. But they don't deserve it. And, and Jesus, we deserve it. Oh, I deserve it. But say, I don't really need it because I'm good, right? That's what they were saying. And, 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 and that was the self-righteous end. Like at that point, they chased Jesus out out of Nazareth, and, and, that, and he never returned again. And that was the self-righteous end of that church. You can be so self-righteous and so know that, that you deserve it more than anybody else. It's like Jesus can deal with our sin. Like you can be the worst sinner in the whole entire... Like you can, he can deal with all sorts of things. But it's this partiality that, really, that just really irks him and really sets people off. So that was the self-righteous end of that church. And it's also the self-righteous end of many churches in America. And so here's, uh, I, I suppose, a takeaway question. And I really hope this pierces you. Um, has Jesus offended you? Has Jesus offended you like he did his hometown crowd? Um, and, and if he has offended you, I hope that you don't run him out of town. But rather, I hope it humbles you. And instead of rejecting him, you run to him. Um, because there's salvation and healing there. I, I think for the first 30 years of my life, I, I, you know, I, and I, maybe the possibly the average suburban congregation, for me, it was about, hey, let's get together and let's do some nice things so that we can be nice people, so that we can do nice... J- Jesus likes us. Check the Jesus box. And, and if I were to be honest, I, I thought I deserved it more. Uh, but at some point, God woke me up to my self-righteous sin to say that, no, no, I, I am the helpless sinner. I, I am the one who doesn't deserve it. That when Christ said that his goal was like he came to seek and to save the lost, like he was talking about me. And Westminster, he's talking about you. Uh, like, like, how can I or how can we look down on anybody? Uh, how can we think of, of any sin or any race or any person as more unworthy than us, because you know, according to the Bible, it's like Nathaniel or Nathan uh, told David, 
Like, you are that man. Like, you are the outsider. And to think otherwise is to completely miss it. So yes, Jesus needs to offend us, but not to shame us. Uh, but he offends us so that he can save us. And so, look, may we see, really, just the gospel of Jesus being rejected on the cross so that we as outsiders could be gathered in and so that we could know the love of the Father. And so don't run. Don't run Jesus out of town. Just run to him. And, y'all, there are a lot of things, many things that divide us in this life, but may Jesus not be one of them. Don't reject him. Run to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Um, man, it's so applicable because there are a lot of things in, in, in my life, maybe in all of our lives, that we, we, don't, we just want to reject Jesus because we don't like the way Jesus says, you know, do this and worship this way. Or, Lord, we all have deep-seated biases. We all have deep-seated sin, which like, it, it doesn't help us to see ourselves as we really are. But Lord, may your spirit come and just cut through uh, like a blowtorch all this stuff. And Lord, help us to see Jesus as beautiful and to run to him, to receive healing and say, this is it. And we ask this in Christ. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.